You know, there are times when it's best to ask for permission. Because if you don't ask for permission, you might get yourself in trouble, you know? But I believe that uh, we've become so conditioned to asking for permission that we're in danger of losing all sense of our God-given freedom and independence. You know, there are today and always have been certain government officials who value their own power and control over people more than they value the well-being of the people that they're supposed to serve. Now, not every government official is like this, but every society has to deal with it. And the way they maintain power over people who believe themselves to be free is by conditioning them to never do anything without permission. For example, after the recent pandemic had really spread and was affecting society, there were people who ran distilleries who wanted to change their products so that they could produce hand sanitizer. Now, I'm no fan of distilleries, okay? The closest I've ever come to whiskey is that someone once accused me of being a whiskey Calvinist. They said of the five points of Calvinism, I could only swallow a fifth. So, anyway, at least initially when this idea came to change the product over, these people had to go through a maze of local and state and federal regulations, permissions, before they could make a product that could contribute to the well-being of the public. It seems like the default understanding in our country is not permissionless innovation for the good of the people, but rather permission-based limitations for power over the people. But from time to time, someone will come along and inspire the people to rise up and simply do what they want to do. And that's what happened approximately 2,500 years ago in Jerusalem. And we're going to learn a few things from this episode of history. And I invite you to turn in your Bible, if you have access to a Bible, to Ezra chapter 5. We're going to look at Ezra chapter 5 and Ezra chapter 6 today. And let me give you a quick rundown so you know where things stand in case you might not be familiar with the setting in Ezra. Here's what's going on. God's people, the Jews were allowed to return from captivity and begin rebuilding the temple of God in Jerusalem. But as soon as they got the foundation of the temple laid, they faced opposition. And the opposition made them shut it all down. And the work of the temple was delayed for about 15 years. You know, at that point, here's what God did. God raised up two men, a guy by the name of Haggai, guy by the name of Zechariah, to inspire the people to begin rebuilding the temple again. And you might be thinking, well, hey, aren't there books in the Bible called Haggai and Zechariah? There absolutely are. And you can probably guess what those books are about. It's about rebuilding the temple, okay? And so I'm going to read Ezra chapters 5 and 6, and you're going to see how the entire drama plays out. And then I'm going to come back and just quickly touch on a few things that might apply directly to our own lives. Ezra chapter 5, here's what we read. But when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel who, who was over them, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Josedach, began to rebuild God's house in Jerusalem. The prophets of God were with them, helping them. At that time, 
Tatanai, the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shethar, Bozani, and their colleagues came to the Jews and asked, Who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and finish this structure? They also asked them, What are the names of the workers who are constructing this building? But God was watching over the Jewish elders. These men wouldn't stop them until a report was sent to Darius so that they could receive written instructions about this matter. This is the text of the letter that Tatsunai, the governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shethar Bozani, and their colleagues, the officials in the region, sent to King Darius. They sent him a report written as follows. To King Darius, all greetings. Let it be known to the king that we went to the house of the great God in the province of Judah. It is being built with cut stones, and its beams are being set in the walls. This work is being done diligently and succeeding through the people's efforts. So we questioned the elders and asked, Who gave you the order to rebuild this temple and finish the structure? We also asked them for their names so that we could write down the names of their leaders for your information. This is the reply they gave us. We are the servants of the God of the heavens and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But since our ancestors angered the God of the heavens, he handed them over to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of King Cyrus of Babylon, he issued a decree to rebuild the house of God. He also took from the temple in Babylon the gold and silver articles of God's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and carried them to the temple in Babylon. He released them from the temple in Babylon to a man named Sheshbazar, the governor of the appointment of King Cyrus. Cyrus told him, take these articles, put them in the temple in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its original site. Then this same Sheshbazar came and laid the foundation of God's house in Jerusalem. It has been under construction from that time until now, but it has not been completed. So, if it pleases the king, let a search of the royal archives in Babylon be conducted to see if it is true that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. Let the king's decision regarding this matter be sent to us. And so King Darius gave the order, and they searched in the library of Babylon for the archives. Not there. But it was in the fortress of Ekbatana, in the province of Medea, that a scroll was found with this record written on it. Isn't that amazing? In the first year of King Cyrus, he issued a decree concerning the house of God in Jerusalem. This was it. Let the house be rebuilt as a place for offering sacrifices and let its original foundations be retained. Its height is to be 90 feet and its width 90 feet with three layers of cut stones and one of timber. The cost is to be paid from the royal treasury. The gold and silver articles of God's house that Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and carried to Babylon must also be returned. They are to be brought to the temple in Jerusalem, for they belong and put into the house of God. Therefore, 
You must stay away from that place, Tatanai, governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shetharbozani and your colleagues, the officials in the region. Leave the construction of the house of God alone. Let the governor and elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its original site. I hereby issue a decree concerning what you are to do so that the elders of the Jews can rebuild the house of God. The cost is to be paid in full to these men out of the royal revenues from the taxes of the region west of the Euphrates River so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, and lambs for burnt offerings to the God of the heavens, or wheat, salt, wine, and oil as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, let it be given to them every day without fail so that they can offer sacrifices of pleasing aroma to the God of the heavens and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I also issue a decree concerning any man who interferes with this directive. Let a beam be torn from his house and raised up. He will be impaled on it, and his house will be made into a garbage dump because of this offense. May the God who caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who dares to harm or interfere with this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued the decree. Let it be carried out diligently. Then, Tatanai, governor of the region west of the Euphrates River, Shethar Bozani and their colleagues, diligently carried out what King Darius had decreed. So the Jewish elders continued successfully with the building under the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah son of Iddo. They finished the building according to the command of God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and King Artaxerxes of Persia. This house was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Verse 16 of chapter 6. Then the Israelites, including the priests, Levites, and the rest of the exiles, celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. For the dedication of God's house, they offered 100 bulls, 200 rams, and 400 lambs, as well as 12 male goats as a sin offering for all Israel, one for each Israelite tribe. They also appointed the priests by their divisions and the Levites by their groups to the service of God in Jerusalem according to what is written in the book of Moses. The exiles observed the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. All of the priests and Levites were ceremonially clean because they had purified themselves. They killed the Passover lamb for themselves, their priestly brothers, and all the exiles. The Israelites who had returned from exile ate it, together with all who had separated themselves from the uncleanness of the Gentiles in the land in order to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. They observed the festival of the unleavened bread for seven days with joy, because the Lord had made them joyful, having changed the Assyrian king's attitude toward them, so that he supported them in the work of the house of the God of Israel. Now, imagine, if you would, the foundation being built for this glorious temple of God, and then the project coming to an abrupt halt for a decade and a half. You know, nature has a way of fighting back and retaking territory. Weeds come in, the grass grows, the place looks neglected, 
Looks like no one cares. Everyone's gone back to their own towns and villages, and, and really, who can blame them? I mean, you've got a life to live. You've got your own property to take care of, right? But then something changes. A new king comes to power over the empire that Persia controls. And this new king is Darius, king of Persia. Isn't he cute? And with the installment of the new king over the reigning empire of Persia, there comes a new possibility for the Israelites. We can finish what we started. Now, the Israelites knew how to build the temple, and so the issue of it being delayed wasn't a matter of uh, not knowing. It wasn't a matter of uh, skills or anything like that. The problem was that the pagan worshiping people to the north, the Samaritans, discouraged them from rebuilding the temple. And so when you get discouraged, what does God send along? A couple of encouragers, Haggai and Zechariah, to get things moving again. Now, if you were to go over to Zechariah's book, and we won't do this today, but if you were to go over to his book, you'd discover that it's, it's a great book. It's, it's got a lot of beautiful visions in there, and, and it's all really about the rebuilding of the temple, okay? But I'm going to give you the, the very briefest of overviews of Haggai's message. Lesson number one from Haggai. Quit being lethargic. Even the word lethargic sounds lethargic. <laughs> Quit being lethargic. Every single time someone came along and said, Hey, do you think it's time to begin rebuilding the temple? The response was the same. No, nah, not yet. It's just not the right time. You ever run into someone like that? It's never the right time to get busy. Apathy. Indifference. The people were stuck in a rut of doing nothing. And when you get stuck in a rut of doing nothing, the easiest thing in the world to do is keep on doing nothing. So sometimes, people just need a good kick in the pants. I'm going to put that on social media. Maybe become famous. you got Abraham Lincoln's great quotes, Martin Luther King. And I'll be known for giving someone a good kick in the pants. Sometimes people need a good kick in the pants, especially when God has something that he wants done. When God has work that he wants us to do. When it came time to doing God's work, the believers in Ezra 5 were just like a lot of believers, unfortunately, today. They were indifferent. They were apathetic. They were lethargic. You know, you get in the habit, for example, of not going to church... And every dumb excuse in the world becomes a reason not to go. Well, they got church on TV. It's just as good. No, it's not. Your TV is not happy to see you at church. But if you come to real church, real people will be happy that you're there. And so... The only thing that's going to make your TV happy is if you turn it off and go to real church. People think, well, no one at church misses me. That's not true either. You see, God has work that he wants to do in you, and God has work that he wants to do through you to others. But you have to be involved. 
You have to be involved in God's work. And so unless you're absolutely trying to make your absence at church a self-fulfilling prophecy where no one ever misses you, you need to be at church. I mean, if you stay away for enough weeks and enough months and enough years and enough decades, then absolutely people will eventually no longer miss you. What, what they'll miss, though, is their memory of you. The guy, oh, you remember that guy who used to come here? That's what they'll miss. But you have chosen to be gone. And so what they miss is a distant memory of you that is fading away in their feeble minds. Now, please listen. I'm not talking about people who are so physically disabled that they cannot attend church. I'm not talking about that. Because there are people in just about every congregation who would give their left arm literally if they could go to church every single week. And they can't because they have physical disabilities that keep them and it kills them. They hate it. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about people who, when it comes to the self-beneficial habit of gathering with God's people, they are lethargic. They'll go to restaurants and supermarkets and stores. They'll even sit for hours next to disease-ridden people in their physician's lobby. But when it comes to gathering with God's people, they ramp up the new excuse, I might get the COVID. They sound like the lazy man in Proverbs 22, 13. There's a line outside. I might get eaten in the public square. Nonsense. You know, in the end, only you know whether the reason that you give for not getting involved in any kind of activity of God's work is really a good reason or is just an excuse. I'm just saying don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Quit being lethargic. Lesson number two from Haggai. Reset your priorities. Reset your priorities. Now, the people in that day, they had their own houses. Okay, obviously, we all have our own houses. They had their own houses. But at the same time, they were supplying their own houses. For a decade and a half, the house of God lay in ruins. And it becomes a simple question. Who's more important, us or God? Who's more important, the created or the creator? You know, there is a balance to all things. No one is saying you can't have your own house, you can't have your own transportation or anything like that. Of course you can. You need those things. But if you are completely neglecting the things of God, whether we're talking about your time or whether we're talking about your money, you're complete, if you're completely neglecting the things of God, it just shows that your priorities have become out of whack. And when your priorities are off, it's bad for you. It's bad for you. So let's learn from the mistakes of the people in that day so that we don't repeat them today. It might be time for you to look at how you spend your money, look at how you spend your time, and reprioritize things, because it's real easy for things to get off. Lesson number three in Haggai, neglecting the things of God hurts you. It hurts you. If you hoard the money that God has blessed you with, it hurts you. If you hoard the time that God has blessed you with, it hurts you. And you might say, well, how can it hurt me? If I keep all of my money, how can it hurt me if I use all of my time on me? How can that hurt me? Because it sounds like I've got extra money if I keep it all to myself, or I've got extra time if I keep it all to myself. Listen, here's what you don't understand if you think that way. 
when you as a believer marginalize God and his work, he stops blessing you like you would otherwise. And spiritually, you become as dry and dead and useless as a tumbleweed. The Lord of armies put it this way in Haggai's prophecy. He said right there at the very beginning, You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat and never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but never have enough to get warm. The wage earner puts his wages into a bag with a hole in it. It's going out the other end. The Lord of Armies says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build the house. He's talking about his house. And I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but then it amounted to little. When you brought the harvest to your house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. It is not a good thing when the Lord God himself opposes you. You will not leave that battle unscathed. Well, Haggai's message, as well as Zechariah's, got through. It lit a spark in God's people. And they started rebuilding the temple. But then, an unelected politician, a bureaucrat, showed up. And this bureaucrat said, who gave you permission to rebuild the temple? Where are your papers? Do you have badges? And Haggai said, badges, badges. We don't need no stinking badges. (laughs) Listen before things get off the rails. There's a lesson here. Satan never gives up. Satan never gives up. And when Satan wants a job done... Often, he uses a bureaucrat from the government. It is right there in God's Word. You thought bureaucracy was something we just had to deal with today. Oh, no. It's right there in God's Word. Unelected bureaucrat. Gumming up the works. And so the leaders of God's people told this guy, Hey, look, we're doing the Lord's work. Go talk to him about it. And if that's not good enough for you, we got permission from King Cyrus 16 years ago. Well, you know, of course... Taking someone at their word is never good enough for a bureaucrat. And so he wrote a letter to the current king, King Darius. Bureaucrats, by the way, love paperwork. He wrote a letter to the king, and he asked King Darius, search the records, look for more paperwork, search the records for this permission granted by Cyrus. And so King Darius commenced a search, and the paperwork was found. And by the way, when the government finds paperwork, that's a miracle right there. God's at work. When the government is competent, that's God at work right there. And King Darius wrote his own letter back to the bureaucrat, indicating everything's okay, let them rebuild their temple. But then he went further. King Darius said, they're going to build those walls, and we're going to pay for it. You thought Trump came up with that. No, No, Darius came up with it, but he reversed it. We're going to pay for the walls that are going to be built. 
And we're also going to give them offerings. We're going to give them lumber, stones. We're going to give them animals. We're going to give them agriculture, whatever they need. Here's what Darius said in Ezra 6, verse 9. He said, let it be given to them every day without fail, so that they can offer sacrifices of pleasing aroma to the God of the heavens and pray for the life of the king and his sons. What an amazing statement. You see, Darius was a Persian. He was from modern-day Iran. And back in that day, the Persians didn't believe in the Lord God. They believed in a pantheon of gods, 12 gods, in fact. And each of these gods oversaw a different part of life, they believed. But here, the king, Darius, he supports the building of the temple of the Most High God, the God of the Jews. He wants their God to bless him. You know, when people who don't even believe in the Lord want his blessing, God's at work. Well, here's the final point that I want to make. And it's important to listen. When we dedicate ourselves to God's work, He does a greater work in us. So the Israelites of that day, they got busy doing the work of God. They rebuilt the temple. And this is what happened. In Ezra chapter 6, verse 20, all of the priests and Levites were ceremonially clean and because, because they had purified themselves. And they killed the Passover lamb for themselves, their priestly brothers, and all of the exiles. Now, you and I know today that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish holiday of Passover. When the Passover lamb is killed, and in that original Passover night, the blood of the lamb was spread over the doorposts so that the angel of the Lord did not hold them accountable and take the firstborn from that household. No longer today is that sacrifice needed. Why? Because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who died for all of us. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he very famously said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John the Baptist was right. Listen, today, if you want to truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be involved in God's work, you must devote yourself to him and to him alone. You must trust Jesus alone for your salvation. Not Jesus plus Mary. Not Jesus plus Muhammad. Not Jesus plus anything else. And especially not Jesus plus your own goodness or your own religiosity. That won't work. You must trust Jesus and him alone for your salvation. Why? Because Jesus alone died to pay for your sins. Jesus alone rose from the grave to give you eternal life. Jesus alone ascended to heaven. Jesus alone sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Jesus alone 
is coming back to rule this world someday. And Jesus alone is Lord. That is why you must trust Jesus and Him alone. 